Welcome to My African Aesthetic, a podcast that interrogates the African aesthetic in African architecture and design. On this podcast, you'll hear about the work, philosophy, and design process of African architects and designers practicing in Africa and the diaspora. My name is Eunice Nanzala Schumacher. I'm a Ugandan architect and designer living and working in Norway. And my name is Penina Achayo Laker. I am a Ugandan graphic designer researcher, and educator living and practicing in the USA. Our podcast features conversations with designers working to provide architecture and design solutions for Africa. We would like this to become a platform where our guests share their knowledge and experiences on designing in the diverse, hybrid, and dynamic socioeconomic, cultural, and political African context. We are looking forward to embarking on this journey with you. Welcome to part two of our interview with Jude. Jude is a visual communication designer and educator from Accra, Ghana. Today, we talk about some of his projects, his design philosophy, and also reflect on his experience as an educator. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit here and jump into your work and research a little bit, which actually is a good is a, is also like a good place to connect some of the 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 themes that we are currently talking about. So a, a lot of a lot of the work that you do uh, in your practice med um, medin edue is that how you pronounce it? How do you pronounce it? It's just a dujue. I, I I would say it's a dujue, but it's basically <laughs> my name. It's just my name spelled backwards. It's just dujue, hey. uh, where I basically was thinking about it as a reflection, where I basically yeah. just took my name. And again, this whole idea about naming also came to play. I was like, well, how do I also like, bring my name also in there? Where I was like, well, let me just use my name. But again, I don't want to go with that idea of like having like maybe due to designs or due to agency, stuff like that. No. So it was more about, well, in retrospect, my name can also be put in that way where it actually like reads as a name, like a dude way, which can be pronounced very easily. Like it's just a dude and way, which is just Jude Yao. And I basically just end up going out that route and... The full name came about where I was like, well, now I'm going to start making things that sort of like reflect my African values or my Ghanaian values. So basically it's the idea of like, so there's this thing where I think it's been encouraged a lot across the African continent about like purchasing made in, made in Africa, made in Ghana, like products, mm, yeah. mm-hmm. the economy. So my my sort of like my contribution to this whole thing was like made in Edujwe, which Edujwe is also like trying to re- represent the African or the Ghanaian aesthetic in that sense, same way where it's like, well, I'm still like pushing the idea of like made in Ghana products. Mm-hmm. So it's like made in a Jewish way. And that basically was how like it came, it came, it came to play. Um, it's, like, it's actually perfect. Cause as soon as you said it was your name backwards and I was like, Oh gosh, that's smart. That's like reflecting back retrospective. Yeah. So yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but, but so it's so a thing that your practice revolves around this idea of, you know, communication, having conversations, um, you know, sort of looking back and uh, defining what community identity and culture is. You know, you, you, your your deliverables are multidisciplinary in, in approach and nature from books to public spaces, installations and things like that. I'm going to, uh, I want to give you the difficult task of um, choosing a project or two okay. that uh, you could share with us that you feel 
uh, embody a lot of what you what you strive to achieve in your work? Okay. Um, so let's see. Um, okay. So I think it's important to like I would try to highlight a few projects and speak about them very quickly before I speak about mm-hmm. the like, two very important projects to me. Mm-hmm. So. Again, just going back to the question, I mean, the conversation we're having about like the idea of like uh, education and how like how students or yeah, students like basically back at home in Africa don't get to be very like imaginative and creative because the ideas get shut down because again they feel like they don't conform to what like our like educators or like authorities are like used to. When I came to grad school, so I, my decision to come to grad school was out of uh, a result of feeling like I wanted to do more because. Hmm. I graduated, learned a very like Western style of like design. I was like, okay, this is it. I'm just going to be doing that. And I, I did that for about six years and things being good. Like I, I definitely give like glory to God also in the sense that like I basically was, I was rising up the ranks. Like I started like as a designer, went to like uh, art director, creative director. I was like, right, basically like, rising up got to a point where I was like head of design also at a particular agency. That was great. But then I think it got to a point where I was like, well, I know for a fact that the next step from there would probably be like uh, like management. And I don't want to mm. go into management. But like design is my passion. So I don't want to like move from that. So in my, as a, in just reflecting, trying to think through like what would be next for me, I was like, well, why not, why don't I take, sort of try to take a break and go to grad school and see like what's out there that I can actually end up doing. So then I ended up coming to grad school, which again was a, a long story. I was like trying to figure out like where to go to, where it felt more like, um, home in that same sense but then i finally came to i finally decided to go to uh the school of Art in chicago SAIC. and then when i got there the first day of class i was so shocked because the learning the learning goals and the learning outcome was very different from, from what i was used to back at home in ghana hmm. it was more it was it was less well so what had happened was my first class i thought well, maybe it's grad school so grad school it's like that's how it's supposed to be in grad school but then i was like no the undergrads are also being taught in the same way. It's more about we have conversations, right? Yeah, professors are having conversations with their students. It's not well, it's up and it's like, well, A plus B C but it wasn't like that. It was mm-hmm. more about we mm-hmm. have conversations. So it's like, well, I'm here to talk about this particular topic. Maybe I'm talking about color. Well, this is the thing about color. How does color also relate to you? So that conversation was more interactive and it was like like mm-hmm. the conversations were so rich in that same sense where it's like uh our our professors at the time were giving us a chance to like contribute to this conversation where they felt that like I had one professor, um, his name is uh, J- Jacob, Jacob Bristow, and the other one, uh, <clears throat> back back when I was in uh, grad school, that I feel like did a really great job with that also, where it's like they were really, they really made sure that they always involved their students in the learning process as far as like teaching, where it's like they would just come introduce a topic and they would be like, let's talk about this thing. And then everybody gets a chance to bring their own perspective into it and it gets so rich because at the end of the day, Class ends, we leave class, and I learned something very, very different. My professor leaves class also learning something that he also did not know. So that idea was really interesting, and it was nice to like have that sense of like conversations also happening. So for me, I think at that point I was like, oh, like this is very, very different. I feel like I'm starting to like think about design a very different aspect now that I was really like used to back at home in Ghana. So in grad school, I had the chance of being able to like, take classes in different disciplines. So I took classes in photography, I took classes in like uh, textile, I took classes as far as like, um, I was taking a lot of architecture classes also and art history classes. And it was great because then I think it got to a point where I started realizing that the medium can be different, but the message can be the same. 
And that, that point for me was very, very revealing for me. Where it's like, I think that, I feel like that basically was the point where I started really thinking about my practice in a very different way. It was like, well, I can be a designer. I can still apply my design principles, but then the medium in which I like communicate that message can be the same. So uh, with that being said, I think uh, I, worked, I worked on a couple of projects in grad school, which like one of them is, uh, that's what she said, which again, I was trying to think about the context of like independence. So again, okay. So just to give a form of like context again, most of the work that I was doing at the time also had to do a lot of like my identity as a Ghanaian and also like being from like a post-colonial state because now I was like, I had the chance of like being outside of the continent in general, where it's like, well, I'm being, I'm having, I'm getting exposure to some of these concepts that were just an idea to me back at home in Ghana, but now it's like, I'm actually face to face with them. And one of the things that I think I really want to like highlight and speak about also is the fact that it, for me, it was strange when I came to school, to grad school, and it felt as if the institution was actually pushing for me to work on projects that had to do with my origins or my identity as like an African. And I felt, I did not feel comfortable about that. I felt that was so weird mm-hmm. because I should be working on work that interests me not a work that you want to get out of and sort of like make your institution or your body of work diverse. That's not mm. what, I, what education should be about. So for me, it was always a push and pull between trying to make work that suits that, uh, that fills up that like I, I sense a body of work for them. Where it's like, oh yeah, we have like a, a few students from Africa that are making work that have to do with like indigenous African work and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, that is not the kind of work I want to do. I have like my own agenda. I want to come and work mm. on certain projects. Mm. So like really get over that and somehow somehow again it was crazy to me to sort of experience that same Ghanaian professor authority role when I was in grad school with a particular like a particular like professor in that same way where they were actually like forcing me not like forcing me by the way really encouraging strongly encouraging me to work on African projects or like Ghanaian projects but I was like well Judah I'm I'm Judah as a human being I'm not just a Ghanaian like there's so many mm, like projects mm. that I explore you can just, again, because what you're doing is you're basically putting me in a box. That's what you're doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Trying to like have me work on certain projects that you think I need to work on. I think it should be more about me having a conversation about what I think interests me or certain things, the things that I want really want to explore. You have some designers coming from Africa and working in the diaspora that have the desire to design uh from deeply from their African heritage and actually want predominantly projects that have to do with African uh, inclusion, anything that has to do with, with their background. And then you have designers who actually look at moving into another context or moving into another country as an opportunity to open up, to kind of like try out and almost like for them, it's like an embrace of other ways of designing just to find out how are they doing it? Why are they doing it that way? So I, I think it's very, it's very nice. And, and I'm sure it's also very, someone might really benefit from the fact that you have mentioned that aspect of, of a designer in a different context or in the diaspora that probably feels the pressure, <laughs> the pressure to, yeah. by, to, to and- always do things African. Why don't you do something colorful or something, even if we are asking for for decolonizing design and everything, people, I think we also have to go past that thought that anything that has to do with African designers finding their own voice and the way they communicate, 
we have to go away from the idea that it must always include indigenous kitenge or I mean very very stereotypical graphics or stereotypical projects or ways of designing. I don't know, Penina. No, <laughs> I, I was just like I'm dying, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but but I, I think I think the the worst part about um, that experience. Which I'm sure you there definitely a lot of feelings you had about it, but if 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 I'm to like attempt to even like put myself in your shoes, is it 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 in so many ways defeats the purpose of what graduate grad school is about. Mm. That 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 it strips away and robs you of the opportunity to to be on a journey um, that that allows for you to arrive at a place where you understand what it is you want to say and how you want to say it. Mm. So it's 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 someone looking at you. And your background, perhaps romanticizing the idea of being African. Yes, I'll say that. <laughs> and 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 then and then telling you, oh, you should work on projects like this because this is what I perceive. You know, people are going to want to see because it's mm. what you know you can contribute. So it robs you of the opportunity to even interrogate where where your own culture, where your Africanness might fit into the work you want to say. Mm. And and that to me is what's so frustrating about that experience. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Like it was, it was like for me, it was, it was definitely a shock. Like it was, it was a shock to the point where it, it, it sort of like almost like brought up like sort of like a debate between like me and this like said professor in that in that context also. Where it's like I'm like no, this is not what I want to do. But then it's like so I think to um, Eunice, to your point you had you had made earlier on, um, I think it's really important that the only way we can actually like deconstruct or decolonize design is by actually knowing it, you know, like, I feel like Pablo Picasso has that same way, says, you know, it's like break the rules, like a pro, you need to like learn them to be able to like break them. So in that same way, just look at myself or my life, like my own experience, which I can only speak to my experience is I came in already having that African like value system, that cultural system into like a very like Western system. But then it's like, okay, I can't just like approach it with a very like African or Ghanaian aesthetic or like way of thinking to it. I definitely need to learn the rules of the land before I can also be able to like inter- inter- integrate or basically stuff that I talk about like my own African aesthetics. That's mm. basically how it's going to work. If not, I'll basically just be like flying blind. That's basically how it's going to happen. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy to me because that was like my first semester. I was like first semester there. I'm like, uh, no, I, I came here to actually like figure out how things are, how things are work, work here. And then if I can start talking about my work that like has to do like my origins or my identity also in that same sense. So I think it was, it was really challenging also in that sense where it, it's like, well, it seems like this is a part of, so again, it's, it brings up this whole idea of like, I think Pinnick also like made mention of this where they basically, so then again, like not accusing anyone of anything, but it almost feels as if they are using you as a, as, as, as a point of access to get certain things that it's like you can also like learn about like in different ways, right? Because it's like for most of for most people like that in that context, it's like the only form of access they'll have to Africa or Ghana, from in my case, was through me. Like I'm hmm. like I have like actually like colleagues and professors who will say, Oh yeah, you're the first Ghanaian that I know. I'm like, okay. That does not mean that I basically represent every Ghanaian. The whole every, of Ghana. Exactly. It does not work like that. I think you take me as like a human being and let's have a conversation about that and what that will be represents, right? The same way I cannot be sitting here like on this podcast and say, well, this is how Ghana is. And it's like, everyone should take that. No, it does not work like that. It's like, I'm only speaking for my, on my experience or what I have lived through in that, in that mm. same sense. 
So for me, it was it was grad school was was a bit of a battle battle in that same sense where it was trying to figure out do I want to do work that basically appeals to my target audience in the USA, which is Chicago, like which is again like white Americans, or do I want to, do I want to make work that again speaks to my own like culture, something I've I've, I've grown up grown up with like or, or I've known all my life, but then also it's like there's no accessibility to that. It's like I can't get anyone that will relate to that those concepts also, mm-hmm. so. Again, in grad school, it's a lot about like this tension between what kind of work am I doing? Who is my target audience? What am I targeting also in that sense? So I think with that, I can actually start talking about a few projects that I worked on also. One of the projects that I worked on that I feel... So I worked on two projects that basically led me to work on one very big project, which was end up being my thesis project, which is still an ongoing project, which um, the first one is called That's What She Said, which plays off the joke of like that joke about the idea of like, that's what she said. Which is, I think, is something that if you've watched the TV show The Office, comes up a lot. But the idea of that was I was trying to see ways in which I can basically find an intersection between thinking about Western culture and also like Ghanaian culture, where I can put those two together to make sure that I can basically uh, create an access point for both audiences, where basically back at home can relate to that project and people also here can also relate to that project. Because that was something that for a very long time I used to like think about a lot. It's like if I make work. Would you understand you being like you live in the USA? If I make work, would you be able to understand you live in Ghana? Like, how do I create an access point for both people? So that project basically was me trying to like interrogate or start thinking about the idea of like independence. Because independence to me, I think, was really, really interesting. It's some way somewhat like ironic in the same way where it's like, you know, Ghana being also the first country to gain independence in, in, in Africa, I think it was really interesting because we start to think about what does independence even mean? Like what does being an independent country or state mean? You know, and mm. look back to today, most African countries are not independent. Like we don't look at independence in that same sense because we definitely rely a lot on like, like foreign aid and stuff like that. Mm. But then again, my idea was the idea of like um, trying to like, again, like I said, like uh, figure out like two different like points of access for, for two, two different groups of like people, like a target audience. So that project, what I did was I basically took um, the independent speech that was delivered by our first president, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. And all I did was I basically just changed the sequence of it to tell a different story. So storytelling is a big part of also my practice also where it's like I like to really like reflect or highlight people's stories in the sense where sometimes all I need to do is that what happens if you take someone's story from a different point of view, right? Because, for example, if I am telling you a story about my life and let's say I have a best friend who's following me every single day, they might see what happened to me, but they would also like recount that story in a very different way than I had experienced it. So again, it was more about how do we tell stories in different like point of view also in that same sense. So what I did with that project, I just changed the sequence of that project. I mean, that, that the, the sequence of that speech, and I basically presented a different perspective, which people had never thought about. Hmm. And the point of that, the point of that project, uh, that's what she called, that's, that's what she said. Again, it's, it's most of these words I'll speak about also like on my website, you can check them out also. But the point of that project was mainly to sort of like open up a conversation because the struggle towards independence is a part in history that like most Ghanaians that lived during that period, they don't like to talk about because it, it was very like, there was a lot of tension happening there. People lost their lives also in that same sense. Mm. So it was very traumatic for a lot of people. So trying to have a conversation with like an older generation about, oh, what was what was pre-independence like in Ghana? Like what was that struggle that led up to like us actually finally getting independence from the British what did that look like, right? Most people didn't even want to talk about it. So mm. my my goal here with this project was to try and use humor as a means to like break the ice 
and have them stand like recount and talk through like things that happened in that same sense. So the project is basically it's, it's a it's an artist book that plays a lot of like form also in that same sense where it 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 basically narrates the story of when the president, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, the prime minister at the time, delivered that speech, that independence speech. And I was basically using the book to to narrate what happened after I went home. So that experience that happened between him and his wife, which again, it's it's a funny scenario. It's like people never actually thought about that. Like, oh, well, all everybody knows about as far as history is independence, how we get independence. But it was never about like something else. So my goal here was to like, to like bring in a very like different point of view so we can get people to open up and like at least start talking. And that project was great. I introduced it. I gave it to a couple of people to take a look at. And it it definitely stirred like humor. People laughed. Like people were laughing about it because it was, it was funny. But then in that in that same sense, and when, when they were in that space where they felt comfortable, they were laughing, it gave me an opportunity to then start to ask them and question them about what how mm. it was. Mm. So mm. I think that was the first part that actually got me started on my practice in that sense about thinking about conversations, how conversations also end up coming up. Because um mm. I think over the years, like till today, when I look back at like how things started for me, my goal is I'm not in search of like necessarily finding answers. All I'm doing is I'm asking questions mm. and getting to start mm. conversations because I definitely don't think that I'm the one who I, I'm the only one who can provide like solutions to every problem. Mm. So for me, it went back to like the idea of like honing on to my African or Ghanaian uh, values, which is the idea of like community. It's more about well. I'm going to ask us this question. I'm going to put this question out there. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's all present our different points of view and like see ways in which we can like come together and like find a solution to it. Because I don't think I no longer can bring bring a, a solution to this to this uh, problem. Yeah. If it's a problem. And as you continue to speak about um, uh, starting conversations, I I know that you have a project that you also like and would like to, to talk about, which is White Lines, uh, that, that starts, uh, that's, that's about, uh, starting a conversation about, uh, public space and, uh, and race and architecture. I think there is a public space is architecture in a way. Would you, can, would you like to share that project with us? Cause yeah. I'm really curious so, about the details of that story. Yeah. That that project is is it's a project that I feel very dearly about because it's it's actually I feel like it's really interesting because I feel dearly about that project but it really has nothing to do with me or my values or in any way but it's just the idea about working on something that does not have any direct relation to you it's like being trying the idea of being selfless like the idea of like working on something that is affecting some other group of people mm. so that project basically is and. I really want to give like uh like a sh- sort of like a shout out to like my professor uh Yantichi who really like set me on this path for that particular project. So that project basically was having us think about public space and how we can basically interrogate or like interact or engage public space in which that we can affect a particular form of change. Mm-hmm. So the project basically starts out being when I was living in Chicago and I had a friend living living uh on the south side of Chicago and had been a couple of times and one time I had visited them and I came across this particular church, which was the Presbyterian church. And the church, at the time I'd seen them, only had like white people coming out of the church. But the church is the location, so the location of the church is basically like an um, an African American dominated community. So it's like there are no white people living in the community. It's it's fully like black people living in that community. But I was like, everybody coming out is all white. They come out and they all just they just get into their cars and just boom, just drive off. And I think that was I was like. 
but there was no interaction happening between like the church and the community. And what was crazy was that just across the street was another Presbyterian church, which was then attended by the people of the community. So then I was like, wait, is this like a form of like racism happening where it's like this church is only for white people and the other church on the other side, which is a smaller church, is for like black people. I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. So at that point I was like, well, I'm black also, right? I felt my kind of color of my skin and this also affects me in a certain way. So it's like, how can I also like approach this? But then what was different about that project was that I was an outsider as far as the community was concerned because when I don't live in that community, I don't relate to anything as far as that. The only thing that we, the shared experience we have is as far as like racism based on the color of our skin. But as far as like me being a part of the community, I was not. So in that project, I had to like really like critically think about how can I get to the bottom of this thing, trying to figure out what's happening here between the church and the community. So for that project, what I basically did was I conducted some interviews asking the residents of the community about like why this is such, why they don't attend that church, which is against a huge church, which was on the south side. And I was asking them why they do not attend that church. And most of them were not able to give me like a very conclusive answer. It was more about, well, this is how we've been doing it for like the past 20 or or 30 years. We just do it that way. There was never an answer that I, that I got from them. I also had a chance of interviewing or like talking to like some of the, I think one, one, uh, one uh, member of the congregation and they said, well, it's never crossed their mind that people in the community don't attend the church. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. So after like talking to a lot of people in the community about like what's happening, I also spoke to my friend also like lived in that community also at the time. And it's just said that it's just the way things happen. So in that project, what I wanted to do was really thinking about, so, so the reason the, the the where the title of the piece the white lines comes from is the fact that it felt as if the church had basically demarcated or drawn like a white line that prevents people in the community from crossing. And that's literally what happened. I mean, the number of times I'd gone there. People in the community don't walk on that side of the street. They just don't. And I think that was so weird to me also in that same sense. So I basically went in as a, one, an outsider and two, like sort of like trying to be like a mediator where I can basically facilitate the conversation between the church and the community where it's like, we probably need to get talking because after like the research, the interviews I had done, it was just a matter of like, there had never been a conversation between those two people. What had happened was that due to white flight, uh, historically that neighborhood was occupied by people like English people, German people, and I think Irish people. And then that's, I mean, a reason of like white flight, they, they migrated and they left that neighborhood and moved like up North. But then, obviously, they could not take the structure away and take it to the north. They had to, like, leave it and just return. So it wasn't a matter of, like, they being racist. It was more a matter of, like, a conversation that never been had between the church institution and the community. So what I did was, in that case, which was very different from what I usually do, again, the idea of, like, thinking outside of the box and thinking about, like, different mediums to work on projects. So my, my goal there was basically to start a conversation between the institution and the church. So mm-hmm. the institution and the community where I used the idea of projections as a medium. But what I, what I did was I basically used the facade of the church as a like a like a pinup board or a dashboard, where I basically just projected some messaging onto the, the facade, where it's like it basically encourages everyone in the community to come out and start to have a conversation about things that were happening. Hmm. So that project, what I basically did was, um, it's a bit difficult to describe that project, like visually, unless you actually like see it. But it was a very uh, guerrilla kind of like, project where it was, it was a one-time thing and like, I did just one time because it was it was it was it was one of the coldest months in Chicago. Chicago is very, very cold. So it was very, very cold and I had to only do it one time. And I just had to like document that also. But the idea was I basically ended up projecting um 
African-American portraits, faces on the facade of the church and basically um, labeling the church in such a way that it started having people think about the relationship that occurs between the church and how they can also play a role within the community. Hmm. And with that project, I basically recorded uh, most most of it and seeing people like drive past, they'll stop, they'll stop, get out their cars, come out and we have a conversation, talk about like what's happening, the history of the church. Hmm. And I also like, had a chance because at the time, since it was so late at night, it was like 12 midnight, the church members were not there. It was just people in the community that were there. But I also basically just recounted on telling them how the history of the church, because most of them did not even know about the history. Mm-hmm. But it was basically just get a conversation started between them and the church where they can because I think about how can they like come together and like start attending church together. And that was a project that some way, somehow, I basically ended up like thinking of it as a successful project because when I left, so again, like I'm saying, it was just a one-time, it was a one-time project. I did it once and I just left. But it turns out that I had gone back, I mean, after that project was done, and I had started seeing a form of like diversity in the church now, where I could clearly tell that people in the community were now attending to the church. I think it was really interesting thinking about the idea of like how a little change or something, just highlighting something can cause like a very big change. Mm-hmm. That aspect of that project was really like huge to me because it got me thinking about ways in which we as designers, architects can definitely like make a change and how we should be responsible and mm-hmm. take ownership of doing stuff like that. Because as much as we might think, we might say, oh, well, I'm just one designer. What mm-hmm. like what can I actually do in this instance to make something happen? I can't do that, right? But I think just that little thing that I did in that aspect really caused a change where it's like, I think it's going to have like uh, a lot of like um, outcomes in the future also. Because now, like I said, last time I heard about the church, people started attending the church. So it's, I feel like hopefully it'll end up being more diverse and then things can also start moving in that direction. Um, yeah. Mm. I was just going to talk about like the final project that I think it's a project that I'm currently working on right now that yeah. I think it really interests me, mm. which is, which again also evolved from that same process about public space architecture. Mm-hmm. Look like. So that project, it's it, it was my thesis project that I did in grad school that I'm still working on, trying to like develop it to onto different platforms. Uh, it's called Independence, but then there's a word play on there where it's like I have like parenthesis on the word in. So it's basically like saying that we are actually in, we are actually dependent, we're not independent. Yeah. Mm. So I think it was a really interesting thing where I was really analyzing the, so the thesis project is basically titled uh, the the effects or just looking at architecture in post-colonial states, specifically Ghana, using Ghana as a case study. Again, with the fact that because Ghana was the first country to gain independence, I really, would, really wanted to analyze or think about what independence means to Ghanaians and how it has been after we gain independence. Mm. So this monument that sits uh, in the capital city, Accra, in Ghana, which is called the Black Star Gate, which again, going through it, you realize that it has a really like dark history that a lot of Ghanaians don't know about. So Ghana gained independence on the 7th of March, 1957. And over the years, every year we have a celebration. We have like a parade. This is a holiday. People have like fun. We go there, we have a parade, we have like celebration and all that. But over the years, if you start to look at it, you realize that the participation has reduced because people just see it as, well, it's something we do every single day of the, of the month of March. But it's like, if we don't know the essence of that celebration, it's like, yeah, we just do it because everyone does it, right? Because mm. I feel like if I'm to ask like someone who's probably like 15 years now, I'm like, well, what do, what do we do on the state of March? They'll say, well, we just, we just go to the Black Star Gate and have like a parade and we like we march and stuff like that. That's it. If you ask them why, they really don't know that story behind that. So what I wanted to do with that project was I really wanted to highlight the dark history of that monument because one, 
being the first like state to gain independence or country to gain independence in Africa, it was interesting how that the construction of that monument was the thing that actually put us into debt. It was that first thing that was done that actually put the country into debt that basically started that. It was the catalyst to us mm. being in debt, which a lot mm. of people don't actually know about and even know about. Mm. So in that project, what I did was I basically uh, tried to think about the, 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 the final goal of that project, which hopefully eventually one day gets done, is either we started thinking about ways where we can actually maybe deconstruct that monument totally or we can actually repurpose it. And I took, I've taken a few classes in architecture also, like I was thinking about how some of these, uh, like a lot of countries in like different parts of the world are really repurposing former colonial like structures or, or mm. buildings where they're having mm. them use them for different purposes. So I was also like trying to get people to start thinking about that also in that sense. Mm. So the part that what I basically did was, again, going back to like Ghanaian values, also the idea of like communication, getting resources or getting people to start and talk about a particular idea. I was basically getting people to contribute and start talking about how we can start to think about this monument and how we can either be constructed or actually like repurpose or something else. But that can only be done, again, if you know the origin story of that particular monument, because we can't just introduce or get into, sorry, we can just get into it if we don't know the history behind that, right? So the first phase of that project, which is what has been done already, was really having people like look or critically analyze that monument. So what I did was the monument, so this is a dark history of the, the monument, is that it sits on the shore of the country, of Ghana, Accra, right? Uh, and that same shore, there were forts and castles built there that basically housed slaves. Mm. So the underlining message there that a lot of people don't know about is that although the British gave us, gave us our independence back, quote-unquote, gave our independence back to us, that monument was basically something to represent the fact that they colonized the country, the Ghana, and I mean Ghana, and they still have power ruling the country. Remember the fact that that the name of that of that monument is called the Black Star Gate, which again is like the gateway in which what the slaves were taking from the country to the West, which again is something that people don't talk about, they don't even know about at all. Mm. So what I wanted to do again was play on the idea of like the idea of like point of view. So with a monument, if you stand at a, at, at a particular angle, I think like at a, at a maybe 45 degree angle, you look at it, the monument has these columns within them. But at that angle, when you look at it, it almost seems to say it's like prison bars, which I wanted to highlight to the fact that it basically shows bondage, mm. which again, it's like the country is still in bondage. But the fact that we still like rely on like financial, I mean, foreign aid and every stuff like that. So what I did was I basically made, uh, wanted to like, I wouldn't say reconstruct, but I want to like make the, the mod, a model of the of the monument in such a way that I basically highlight that part of the history that a lot of people don't know about. Hmm. So I basically introduced two columns to the monument where again give the, the a sense of like it being um a prison, where the idea was that once it was a gate before, which basically opened up for slaves being taken off the off the coast of the country, and then it was shut. Where it's like then we're basically told that well we are basically being locked in within our own country. I don't like bonded to like mm. not having our own independence. And then I reconstructed this monument and actually have it placed in a in a in a in a gallery, in a gallery in Chicago. And that monument, I think it it the height was about nine feet. It was pretty tall. It was about nine feet high. It was fifteen feet wide. And I was trying to as much as possible try to give the idea of scale 
mm. of the actual monument because actual monument is like really huge. I can't there's no way I can construct that into, into like a gallery space. But trying to like give that essence of like thinking about that. So in that sense, one of the things the challenges I had with that particular project, which is something I think we we're speaking about earlier, also was that idea of accessibility, because now I was basically exhibiting this project to an audience that is mainly not Ghanaian or even African at all. It's a very like Western uh, target audience where it's like, well, some of them don't even know Ghana as a country. They think Africa is even a country. So it's like, what is the point of me doing that? Yeah. How do I get across there? But I think mm-hmm. thinking about so one of the things that I came up, I mean, came to realization was the fact that I can use, you know, there's that saying about using the, the master's tools the master's own tools against them. I said that once like I've noticed that like a lot of like African countries are really trying to strive to be like to take up to take up Western culture. What I want to do is that, well, since we're even late to try to do everything like the Western culture or the Western uh context also, what if I basically exhibit this project again, like in the USA? And if like I have like US citizens talking about it, like white people talking about this particular project. People back at home will be like, oh, this is something we actually need to pay pay attention to because that's only how it happens. Because it's crazy how I'm sure like you can all relate to this thing where African fabric only became a thing when it got ingrained into like Western like fashion. Mm. That's the mm. way that happened. So my my approach there was, well, I want to use that same methodology or approach to just like have people start talking about this particular project. So that's basically how it was where it was like, okay, I need to provide a form of like context for this my audience here in the US. So they can understand the project, so they can talk about it, and then I'll have other. I mean, I have people back at home in Africa, like in Ghana, also having the chance to reflect on that project. So that project, it 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 was, it was very well received, which I was I was honestly shocked about because I was like, well, this audience, I I don't know how to understand this because they don't even know what Ghana is to even to begin with. But it was very well received, like. People like stood there, reflect, had several reflections. And what was interesting about that, which I was like, have come across, I mean, have started thinking about now is the fact that any kind of work that we make and we put out there, there's no way that you can predict the reaction that will come out of it. You cannot control that. Mm. So for a very long time, I was struggling with that because I was like, no, no, no. I want them to only see this thing as it's about Ghana. It's about independence. It's like architecture. We need to really, it has to be mm. this way. But I was like, uh, no, that's. That's that would not work. So I basically just opened it up in that way, where I just presented it as it is. It was done. It, the, the the project itself. Um, so it's not up on my website yet because it's it was a project that hits really hits home for me because that's like really reflect on it and it brought up certain things that I was rethinking about a lot. But it'll be up on my website soon. But there were three parts of that project. One was the structure itself, which basically was me taking a monument and adding like these two columns to it. But then also I saw like. I sliced the project, I mean, the monument to half, mm. where if you were to see it, it feels as if it's like coming out of the wall. So the the, the, the material was supposed to be like concrete, but it wasn't, I didn't use concrete. But so when you look at it, it almost feels as if the monument is basically trying to emerge from the wall, which that was as a result of me trying to talk about the relationship or the tension happening between, Af- between Ghanaians taking claim or taking or owning our Ghanaian culture and also trying to like, take up Western culture. So it's like that battle happening between Ghanaian culture, Western Western culture. It's like, how how do I get in between that? How Which one is, is mine or not? So that was a part of that also. The second part of the piece of the monument, I mean, the, the project was sound. Sorry, like, yes, sound. So it was sound, and the third part was video. So the video that was being played, I, I had a projection also happening in that same sense where I was projecting into the columns, into the columns in the monument where it basically was a projection of, 
the sea, which again was given the perception about this is why this thing's a gateway. This is why it's called a gate, because it basically was a gateway for people to take slaves off the off the continent. I mean the, the yeah, the continent also. And the third part was the sound. So that the sound was basically you could hear if you were in the space, you could just hear people rowing a boat. You could hear like whips happening, people being whipped to like try and like row a boat. So again, that reflection of like really having people think critically about like the past of like colonial colonialism, how things have happened, how things have been shaped was a project that I really worked on that again, like I said, it it was received very, very well because most people that came in there reflected on that also on their own experiences. Like I had a very good friend at the time who came and is from Colombia and had a very like have a very interesting connection to the project, which was like, well, this has nothing to do with like Colombia at all. But then they started talking about their own like own governance. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. This project again, it opens up to like having conversations. And I had there was one time on the day of opening, I was I was being I was being funny. I was running, running around the I didn't want anyone to actually talk to me about the project because I felt like I didn't want to like explain a lot, but I was just like eavesdropping, listening to people's conversations. And it was really interesting hearing people talk about like their own experience, not necessarily with that Black Star Gate located in Ghana, but then their own experience as far as like like power, government, like governance, mm. like colonialism, like in different ways. I think that's a really interesting thing that like, for me, was how I measured the success of the project. But again, like I said, it's a project that happened at that time. And the consideration of that project is to now, getting that um, getting that response from it, I want to start thinking about how I can now get people to start contributing to thinking about how can we repurpose the idea and probably we'll start like making sketches for people when people like send the ideas of how can a Ghanaian monument look like? Because the thing about so if you have a chance, you can actually look up the Black Star Gate. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a structure that is very is, is a very neoclassical type of architecture. Yeah. You there's no way you can actually tell that it's actually situated in, in Ghana or even Africa in general, right? Yeah. So I was just having people think about what would a Ghanaian monument that actually represents our independence look like? So that's basically the point of like where this project is right now. It's like how do we rethink the idea of independence? Yeah. Graphic design, product design, uh, experience design, it's an invitation. And if both designers and, uh, and clients or users understand that it is an invitation, then the conversation is easier to have. Then it is not the design strictly the designer or the client who is in control, it's an invitation to talk, to discuss, to have dialogue, but also in the case of product design, to find solutions. And so when you talk about the Colombian person whom you probably didn't think would relate to this, your exhibition, as I understand it, is an invitation to a conversation, but also an invitation to have a dialogue about how to ad- how to how to address this this issue of having, is it okay to have a monument that reminds you every day or cements that history? Is it even, okay, how much of that history is good for the country in in the sense of how much of it should we preserve? And even if we were to preserve it, how should we package it so that our future generations understand precisely what this is about, you know? So there are many, there are many things, I mean, and also as an architect, I know that there are so many uh, colonial uh, buildings, uh, colonial architecture in in Africa that needs to be looked at uh, with a different lens. Or I think we need to have this invitation not only 
not only on monuments, but also on buildings themselves. And I'm not saying that we should demolish them. I'm saying that we should tell the story from our perspective. Because and, and when we and when we invite everyone to the table, then we I believe tell a story that is authentic because it's an open dialogue. Like what you're saying, you don't have the answers, but since you have invited us <laughs> to this discussion and are open, then you're also receptive. And then it's easier to write this book. And this book can have many chapters. But mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I really find this very very, very encouraging, both, and then the fact that it crosses between the disciplines. I mean, yeah, you're the social, the political, history, architecture, and, and storytelling. So I'm, I'm really happy that yeah. you shared this project with us. I don't know, Penina, yeah. you want to say more? Yes, no, I, I, no, I, <laughs> you said a lot of, uh, you've done a really good job of sort of grounding it and um, um, providing a, a, a good sense of, take away from what Judah shared. And I think Judah, a lot of what you've shared also speaks to um, your identity and, and, mm. the, and the goals for the work that you do. And, and it, it's, it's very clear that, you know, through storytelling, you're creating um, experiences, products um, that allow for people to come together um, to ask questions, mm. to have conversations, to, you know, to, pro- to provoke um potential ways of thinking and mm. and 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 I think it's interesting and as we kind of think about wrapping up to uh Eunice your your observations made me think back to where we started with education and how can you imagine where we would be which we still can if our education allowed for us to interrogate and ask critical questions I think about how like when we studied about, you know, Ghana in, in secondary school, we said about Kwame Nkrumah and mm. in the fight for freedom and all those things, you know, I, he, in some ways, the, the amount of time that was given to learning about African heroes, like we, we weren't looking at Kwame Nkrumah in the light of being an amazing hero, you know, he, you know, that, that's not the light in which we saw a lot of the freedom fighters, you know, in some ways that history painted them as re- rebellious you know, to the, to the colonial masters. And, and, and like, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, we really, we really, there's a great opportunity for, for us as a people, as, you know, tribes, countries, as a continent to, to forge new pathways by encouraging critical thinking, but by encouraging dialogue from an early early age and that's just the education system really mm-hmm. um and and i think dude it's it's really great to see that you are using your platform your work to even though in a different context to position design as a medium through which um like Yuni says you know you can invite people to the table and also design i know i'm very aware i can exclude by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, but you're doing it in a way that invites people to have those conversations and not necessarily coming with the answer, which I think is very important in a lot of these discussions. And I also think like with one of the goals of our podcast, um, when, we, when we say it's like this, my African aesthetic, we understand that that everyone we talk to is going to have a different journey, a different way of thinking, a different approach to the way they think about 
what that means for them. And, and, and so we hope that, you know, as we have these conversations, we can I- interrogate and, and start to build a body of, of knowledge that, that, that provides a lot of questions, some answers, but, but at least a space where we can have this, you know, talk about what that means. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. So Jude, you have, you know, we've, we've had a chance to talk about um, the, the, the good, the bad, the opportunities of our education system, um, especially this is now reflecting back um, on the continent in general and in Ghana. And, um, and you have had the opportunity to, to, to live and study in both contexts. Um, wondering if, if you could share with us, now that you're also an educator, uh, a colleague of mine teaching at Washington University, um, I, I'm curious if you, if, if you could share with us what your philosophy is when, and how you approach teaching. And maybe perhaps in there, if there's a, a favorite class that you ha- like to teach, you can feel free to share that too. Okay. Um, I think teaching, teaching, I would say like, I never actually thought about teaching. Like if, if you were to ask me this question when I was in like my undergrad in uni, I would never thought about that. The only way I would have thought about that was if I was trying to be, <laughs> if I was trying to like really critique. So teaching for me came up as an idea of like critique in the self of like critiquing like what my education was like as far as my undergrad. And when I was done with undergrad and I was, I was working uh, as a designer at the time, I had a chance to like, I got this opportunity to teach like uh, the Adobe Adobe software to a group of students who did not have any like sort of like design or art background. I think back, I think it was probably like two years before I left the country. And that experience was really interesting because I, I think the first, the first approach of thinking about that was, am I going to end up teaching this class like how I've been taught when I was in uni, or I'm going to have, I'm going to end up teaching a different way? Because then again, it's like this uh, group of students I'm teaching are very different from me because I came with the, like an art background. They don't at all. Mm-hmm. Like, so how do I approach that? And that moment for me was a, like a huge realization where I was like, well, I think that's basically how we should be actually thinking about teaching where it's like, there isn't one clear cut way or template that applies to every student that you come across. It's going to be very, very different. Like even a particular group, you can have like a group of 20 students. Each of them is going to like basically interact with the, 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 the material teaching in a very different way. Mm-hmm. So that for me was very interesting. And that experience, I think I had, I taught the class. It was like a workshop, but it was, I think it lasted for about two months. It was great because I had, I think 15 students in the class they were all very, very different, had very different like uh, ambitions, had very different goals of like why they wanted to take the class. And afterwards, then I was like, wow, this is great. But then I never reflected on that until I came to grad school. So when I was in grad school, I actually had the opportunity of actually like teaching as a TA and sometimes even teaching a full class also when I, when, when I was in grad school, which was actually a lot of classes. I ended up teaching like I think about 12 classes my entire time in grad school, I think over two wow. years. That was crazy. But it also had its own like, things also behind that. But, <laughs> It was interesting because now I had the chance of reflecting on my own education to reflecting on how I taught a class back at home in Ghana. And then now having the opportunity to be to be in education in the US and seeing how like my professors were teaching me and being like, well, this is very different from how I've been taught back at home in Ghana. So for me, when I did have the chance to the opportunity to finally move from there and I started teaching here at Washington University, I think my biggest maybe like mantra like think think about was 
teach in such a way that your students can be part of the learning process. That's basically what my philosophy is as far as, as, far as teaching, making sure that students are part of that process. Because I feel like I had the chance, again, my own experience to be at the point where I was basically being taught as this is what it is, just learn that and you'll be fine. And then coming to the US where I'm basically being taught where it's like, well, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this particular thing and let's have a more meaningful conversation. And it was interesting to think about how to measure those two. So for me, as far as teaching now, I think I've been teaching officially for about two years now, like almost two years now. I mean, next year will be my second year teaching like officially in the US. But I think one of the things I have started to notice about that also is how students react differently when you sort of like like have an open door, like you're not open an open mind, like really like open it up where it's like you're not saying that, well, this is how something should be. I'm actually saying that this is how something has been done. What do you think about it? So for me, most of the time when I'm having conversations with students, there's always this idea about what do you think about it? What do you think about this particular like, topic I'm talking about? If it's about like design, if it's about like graphic design, if it's about like any other particular class, I usually ask the question about what do you think about it? I also like during my first year of teaching, I had the class of I had that sorry, I had the opportunity of teaching Penina's class, Design for Social Impact, which I really, really enjoyed and I love that class. It's a class that I feel like it's 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 great. And what was good about that class was it's a class that like I really feel like aspects of it can be applied in any other class because mm-hmm. specifically has to do with like how we as designers like we can really think about ways in which can cause or have an impact and so like a social impact. And I think it's it's a part of like education that a lot of like maybe like professors or kids are really like ignoring where it's pointless if you train students to just go work for an agency and they have no sense of like social responsibility. I think that does not work at all. So I think about it in more of a sense of, yes, I'll be teaching you like the in and out of design, but then I was also teaching you to really think socially in that same sense where it's like, well, now that you have these tools, how can you think about wasting what you can also cause an impact? Because as much as as much as possible, each of us have like very different points of views and perspectives and experiences that we've lived through. Maybe for you, you feel like there have been a lot of like uh, discrimination happening with like, maybe like Latino people, and maybe that's where you actually like relate to. How can you start working on projects that basically speak to that, right? So basically, for me, again, like I said, it's more about how do you again one critique even what you're being taught. That's same. I think recently I just had a conversation with a student where I was telling them that the only way you can st- start to think about wanting to do something different or critique something is if you know thoroughly about that particular material. That is the only way you can actually critique it. So for example, mm-hmm. if maybe you wanted to like critique my design or like my particular project that I've done, the only way you can actually get into it or have access to it to what's talk to me about it is if you actually like really pay close attention to what it was about. That's when you can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's all about make sure you're learning what you need to learn. Make sure you're also like critiquing things. Don't just take things on the face value, like really like interrogate what those things are. Because for example, like even at, so I teach a class, I teach one of my class, one of my classes I teach is in typography. And in typography, we currently like introduce a part of it where I really trying to like deconstruct or think about Latin type and how that also like plays across like different languages. Because the thing is, for example, in my language, like, like back at home in Ghana, we speak. So before colonialism, I think we spoke like at least a hundred languages, but then that's the cost of time. Now, I think the most common language spoken are probably about eight now, which is again reduced. But again, there's no form of documentation of that. And that in itself is a problem because the language is getting, languages are getting lost. Mm. Because if the people that are teaching them are not there to teach them, 
there's no way of documenting language for, for like a newer generation to actually learn that. And I think it's also an opportunity just to even just drop in there how it's a, a really like personal experience to me where some way, somehow, it just seems as if your ability to speak English is equated to intelligence, which is something I really do not encourage at all. Like I, there was one time, so just quickly, just one experience I had was when I was in the US, I had a colleague who had basically just asked me, we're having a conversation, I think it came up, a person was like, oh, so does your mom speak English? And I was very offended because, again, the conditioning we've gone through is that, oh, English is a sign of intelligence. If you can speak good English, you're intelligent. But I was like, no. So at that point, like, I, I got very, very defensive. I was like, no, my mom speaks English. Like, I, I almost felt like I was actually I mean, about to like, say something to the guy. But I was like, no. So later on, I reflected. I was like, this is so wrong. Because like back at home, you are conditioned to think that you are only intelligent if you can speak English. But then coming here now, listening to people's different accents, listening to people talking different ways, speaking different languages, I'm like, uh, no. The fact that someone even has a strong accent is was a mark of actual intelligence because they speak different languages. You only speak yeah. one. Right? Yeah. So for me, I think that is something I really just want to like make make a, a note of also in that sense where for me, I really think a lot about, I don't, I'm not quick to judge any student if you say the student is this way. I think it's more about if I ever encounter a student, I feel a student is struggling in a particular field, or a particular subject, we have a conversation about what, or what other interests do they have? And maybe mm. we can bring that in into what we're actually talking about in a particular classroom at the time. Um, so it's the question also about uh, what classes are my favorite. I think I've already said definitely design for social impact, which I had a chance of teaching one, one semester. I think I really love that class. And that class that I, I'm teaching, I teach, I've, I've been, I've, I think I'll end up teaching the most is also uh, Word and Image. Word and Image, I think, is a class that really gives a chance to have students think critically about that relationship between, again, Word and Image, as far as like, how can you basically craft a message, right? Which is not just a message like, well, I just want to put this image and this type together. No, I think it's more about the meaning where we're having students really think critically about meaning also. It's like, when I put, for example, when I put in, you know, I love this, this, this example you made about thinking about representing African aesthetic by having like a woman carrying a basket. Like that represents like Africa, yeah. right? So it's My like, nice. if you do that and you put text on it, that basically, the text basically just says Africa. That does not mean that that's what Africa is about. <sighs> so I think I really love that class because we have them thinking also critically about messaging and what those messages mm. also mean. Because mm. if you want to represent, again, for example, like an African aesthetic or something about Africa, it doesn't just mean that you can just have like a photo of like like a safari or like a lion or a cheetah and say, well, yeah. this is Africa. You know, it's it goes much more into detail about that. So, wow. yeah, so that's I mean, it's so interesting talking to you when you talk about English mm-hmm. being the yardstick mm. for intelligence. And it's not just in Africa, but it's also when you come here and you speak good English. Or, for example, for my case, if you manage to speak very fluent Norwegian, and people, then people, that's when some people begin to almost accept that you're intelligent. And sometimes you sit back and you're like, dude, uh, many, it really, it's another topic of its own. It's killing our continent to always have to measure ourselves yes. by standards that have nothing to do with, right. with who we are, with where we are going and where we are at. Imagine if people, if, if we had, for example, a Choli, imagine if everyone in the world's intelligence was measured by their ability to speak right. Luo mm-hmm. huh? yeah. Yeah. or to speak Igbo. 
Mm-hmm. Or if Some of us would thrive. <laughs> while we're still on that thread, what do you find most encouraging and most discouraging about how, how designers are perceived today on the African continent? African designers, to be specific. Right. Um, so I'll probably start with discouraging because I think it's better to go negative and then like... <laughs> Wrap it up on a high <laughs> note. Yeah. Um, I think what is very discouraging is also like... I feel like just looking back at when I was in school, like African designers are still on this on this uh, route of replication, trying to replicate stuff like designs that basically fit like a very Eurocentric like point of view. Because like being able to work in in, in Ghana, which again like I, I thank God for that, but being able to work in Ghana and like working with like clients also in that sense, I think it got me to really understand that we actually not as designers, we're actually not making stuff to basically fit the context of like the target audience, which again is like the idea of like a user, because you sometimes find like a, like uh, an example, like maybe like uh, an African restaurant or like maybe a Ghanaian restaurant. And then the graphics or the symbols being used in there, like do not relate at all to like maybe the food or even like the African culture, like the aesthetics of it. It's, it's, it's so, it does not relate at all. So, for me, I've also had the chance to work with a company uh, called GIZ, which is, a, I think, a German-based company, but has, like, uh, affiliate affiliations with different countries. And I had a chance of being a consultant for them, a uh, design consultant for them in Ghana, which is a GIZ Ghana branch. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting seeing how, I mean, the first time I'd approached them, I think I, I basically worked with them for about four to five years. But the first project I worked with them on, it was... I, again, was working as I've been trained in school where I was making stuff that fits the Eurocentric target audience or like a Western target audience. And then one of the people on the panels, one of the directors, we had a conversation trying to critique the, the deliverables being done. It was like, uh, this does not look Ghanaian. And that, that's literally the first thing he said. And I was like, wow, like, what does that even mean? So at that point, again, mm-hmm. I was like, huh, I thought this was like, if, if my professor was there, my, my professor would be like, oh, this is a great job. This is a great work. And the client is like, uh, no, you're exactly not. This is not what we want. So he said something that I feel like, again, if there's any way I could advise anyone out there, but he said, if this was back in Germany, this would pass. This is great. But in Ghana, this does not work because it has no connection to the Ghanaian people. And I was like, wow. That is so true. Like, And again, it's, it's crazy how. This is coming from someone, again, living in on, 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 on the Western side of the world and everything, but it's like, this does not relate to the target audience you're dealing with. So I think my problem, I mean, what's discouraging about it is that I think African designers need to really start thinking critically about our cultural values and really, like, finding ways that they can actually highlight that, right? Mm-hmm. Because for me, that, that statement that was made by that client at that time was almost like a wake-up call for me. I was like, oh, yeah, like... If I was living in the context of like, if I was in the US, if I was in Germany, if I was like in the UK, I'll be a great designer because I've basically been trained to live in those countries, to work for clients that are like that. But it's like, as far as how our business are run in Africa, it's it has some relation to that. So I think it's, again, going back to I think what I had used also in the beginning about the idea of like adaptability, making sure that whatever you've learned in school, you adapt that to your particular, your specific audience, which is the African continent or like the Ghanaian target audience right because 
Again, if I'm working on a, on a project that is relevant to Ghanaian people, I should be understanding or talking to the Ghanaian people and see what they actually want. Because, for example, I think something that even goes back to the something we just left off uh, previously is the idea of like language, right? Mm. For example, the mass, the masses don't speak, well, again, don't speak like English as much as like, again, that, that standard is set up for them to speak that some kind of English. So it's like, if you are, your idea is to communicate to that particular audience, you cannot be using some form of like symbolism or like words or stuff like that, that they do not understand. It would not work. So again, I think it's definitely being aware of like the, your target audience and making sure you're designing to actually fit them instead of designing to fit a different target audience. Because one of the things I've noticed is I had the chance of, uh, being part of a critique one time where I was looking at like African designers artwork or like work. And you would notice that if they did not tell you that this designer worked on a project and the project is based in like Africa, you think the client is in the U S or maybe it's in Europe. So then again, it's like context, the context, is wrong. as far as like the tools you've learned, it's great. You're, you're, you're definitely acing that. But as far as like it's relevance to your audience, it's not working. So that's the thing that I feel like it's it's rediscovering where we are still somewhere some again it's it's not our fault we've been conditioned to think this way where we are still working making sure that like our standards match like a Western standard which should not be so we should be working specifically to push uh, African aesthetics in that same sense mm-hmm. um, as far as what's encouraging to me is some way somehow I see like it's great to see that people are being more open-minded about like design and architecture, like the arts in a way mm. where people are, are more, I feel like to an extent, like growing up people like designers that I knew or like architects that I knew or even like designers specifically that I knew were not so bold to actually speak and say, well, I'm a designer. They were actually not say because they did not feel so proud about their profession because their profession was seen as something more about craft and not like uh, on a level of like you can't compare like design to architecture. Sorry, you can't compare design to like engineering or medicine. Yeah. You know, but now it's that like, as decoration. <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. And then again, it's that that whole idea about intelligence also comes to play. Where it's like, oh, because you're not intelligent, because you didn't do good in school, that's why you're doing that. But now people are really like owning up to it. Where it's like, people like, it's it's great to have conversations with like colleagues and like friends also in the same sense where. The conversation has definitely changed now where people, like there's a lot of awareness about design also happening, there are workshops happening in the country. Uh, clients are also being more receptive to designers. And I think that's really great to also start seeing because, again, when I look at Ghana, again, I can speak specifically about Ghana, but when I look at Ghana and look at like when I lived here, the target audience, as far as like working with clients, here, when a designer says, well, this is what this thing should be, they trust a designer in that sense. But then back at home in Ghana, it's like, uh, you, you don't know a lot about like this particular like topic. So you, you cannot speak about it. Let me tell you about it. But I think it's like, well, I'm the one designing this project. So we should actually think about how my opinion matters. But now, so it seems like now the opinions of like designers are being like uh, listened to a lot. So I think that's really encouraging to see where people are really like taking up the profession in a, in a light way. It seems more appealing to the younger generation also. Because like for me, for example, like right now, if... I ever had a chance to like tell people about like what I do, I can say and I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I do. And I know for a fact that to encourage someone else. And parents out there would not say, I don't want you to go and do design. Do 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 mm. do medicine. Like, do medicine, whatever. You know, but now the conversation is being open a bit more. People are being more open-minded. 
about it. And designers are also like stepping up to the plate where they're actually showing people out there that this is also like a profession that definitely is what is vital to the economy of the country also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Jude, do you know of any designer in Ghana or in Africa that uh, you would like to highlight today? Um, let's see. Hmm. Designer. Wow. There's, 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 I feel like that, that question, there's a lot of them. And I, it's very tricky that you might make an tricky, tricky business. <laughs> yeah. Cause if I mentioned one, it's like, Oh, but I can't the other. so it's, I think I'll just say, well, I wouldn't actually like say someone in particular. I think mm-hmm. I would say kind of work that actually yeah. I, I want to highlight is work that is actually like given a voice to like Ghanaians and Africans. I think that's what I like to see. There's, Yeah, yeah, I think that that that's a better way of like answering the question instead of like actually like pinpointing someone because I have come mm-hmm. across some designers that are definitely pushing African like culture in that same sense. Because for me, uh like when I look back at my own progress as a designer and who I'm at right now in my career, it was really important to still have that identity and develop my own voice. And that same way, it's like, well, I've been through so many things, learned so many things across the way, but it's like how do you also carve your own story in that same way? Because we can have two designers from Ghana, but our experiences or our voice or identity will be very, very different. So again, it's the idea of like ownership of your own identity. So that's that's what I would say to that, to that question. Very diplomatic. <laughs> very, yeah. Smoking like a true African. Yes. Yeah, but I, I, I appreciate that. That's um, really well said, Jude. Thank you very much for uh, being with us and uh, joining us on the podcast and sharing your story and your experiences. It's, it's again, like I said in the beginning, it's a, it's a moment for me to just like also sit here and really reflect on certain things that probably like never actually thought about and just to see how even I can actually move forward in that same sense where it's like, well, it's, I think it's also really important just as like, as, as an ended note, the idea of like how something you do, someone's also looking to also like be able to like reflect on that. So I just want to say that whatever like we're all doing in any form of way, whatever kind of profession, know that your life can be a testimony to someone else's. Hmm. In a sense that when they see how you're doing, you actually tell them what your story is. It helps them to also like figure out their life. Because sometimes like there's this wrong messaging going out where it's like people think that, oh, because you present yourself in this particular light, everything's good. Or it's like you had an easy I think it's really important to me think about what the process is. And then again, if like I have any students that will listen to this, I think it's really important to trust the process also because it's very, very relevant. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please join us for more conversations and interviews with African educators, creatives, architects, urban planners and designers as they share their knowledge and experiences about practicing in Africa and the diaspora. Remember to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with other people that might be interested in this content. Thank you for joining us today.